All right, this morning we are in the last uh, sermon of our two-month series uh, from Romans, talking about uh, living our lives as a sacrifice to God, both living and holy and pleasing to God. Thanks, Rick. For the last two months, we've listened Paul, to Paul as he encouraged us uh, in unity and accepting one another. For me, this has been a powerful series, uh, a timely series for me, powerful in that some of my ideas have been challenged and my commitment to unity has been strengthened. And timely as tensions grow, tensions grow and frustrations mount in the community around us, we're reminded that we have to, or that we are called to, love one another, accept one another, especially on disputable matters, and in a time like this, when the rest of the world seems to be tearing itself apart at the seams, one of the most powerful, one of the most prophetic, and one of the most compelling things that we can do as a church is to graciously love and accept each other. And in a time like this, we become even more patient, that we become even more gracious with each other and more accepting. This has been Paul's main point over these last couple months as we've been studying Romans, that we live our lives as a sacrifice lives that are a sacrifice that is living, that it's holy and pleasing to God. And we sacrifice is largely living out our love as he talks about in the church to or in his letter to the church in Rome, that we are staying together, that we are united together, accepting one another. If you would please open your Bibles to Romans chapter fifteen, verse fourteen. I'm gonna have it here on the screen if that helps too. But let's see what Paul says. He says, I myself am convinced, brothers and sisters for that matter, uh, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. These words apply to our church as well. I am grateful for the rich faithfulness of our church. There's a few of you in here. In the earlier service, there are more uh, people who have been following Jesus longer than I've been alive. That um, there's a deep faithfulness in our church. Not only that, but you are full of goodness, as Paul says. Not all churches can say that. Um, maybe some of you have visited a church, um, but I know there are churches where people don't feel welcomed. They come and they feel condemned or judged by the way they look. Um, and, but when people come to our church, over the years that I've been here, so many people have come to me and said, wow, what an amazing church this is. This is one of the warmest, most hospitable churches I have ever been to. And it speaks to our kindness to the culture of our church, to the kindness and the faithfulness and the maturity that we have here. And I also want to say this too, that as Paul says, that you are complete um, in knowledge, competent to instruct one another. I was thinking about this this week, about how small groups are a central part of our church. They have been a part of our church longer than I've been here. And how many of you um, are involved in a small group, actually most of you are. Uh, and even Rick has led small groups for years. Jim and Karen, you guys have led groups. Um, that small groups are such an important part of our faith, are part of our church. And it's not lost on me. There are other churches that I talk with. For example, that even our sister churches in Nelson and Junction um, have very few small groups, almost so much to, to the point that Jeff and Jesse are kind of like, you know, we're not even sure what to do with it. And so we in this church are competent in encouraging each other, teaching each other, able to instruct each other in faithfulness. And so I am grateful for you. Paul also goes on to say this. He says, I have written to you quite boldly on some points as if to remind you of them again. Paul acknowledges that his bold exhortation, uh, or that his exhortation is bold to the Romans. The last few weeks he's been addressing divisions in Rome and as we've been studying it, addressing divisions among us. 
my words, even Paul's words, have seemed quite challenging for some, uh, seem sometimes even hard to accept. For example, submitting to authorities, even when it seems like they're wrong. But it's out of our love for Jesus and the church and for one another that we do this, that we submit to one another, that we speak the truth to each other. I was thinking about it some, even this morning, like wearing a mask um, in the service or in, in our church here, that this too for me is a time when um, whether I understand or not that I submit to the authorities. Um, now, it's easy for me to do that because wearing a mask for me is pretty easy. I know there are some people in our church who have difficulty wearing masks. Um, it's hard for them to breathe. But, um, and so for them that have health issues, that it, you know, do the best you can. But if we're, if we're able to, for us to, to submit to the authorities. Paul's goal was to call the church back to what they know to encourage them there are room for differences on disputable matters. One of my friends made that point to me. I was talking with him, and he said, you know, to be sure that you make a point that um, it was on disputable matters that the differences were. That, you know, we were talking about it this morning, actually, in the first service. Like, if there was someone who was saying, you know, Jesus was a great guy, but he was no God, like, that's different than a disputable matter. That's central to our faith. And so that is a, that is a situation where we would have a very, we have a discussion. And maybe even the sort of discussion where we say, you know, if you're insistent on that belief, then maybe this isn't the place. Maybe we, need to, like, maybe we need to go different directions. Because believing in Jesus is central to who we are. But that does mean that there are room, there's room politically for, or sorry, room for differences politically, socially, uh, with our response to the pandemic. There's even room for some secondary theological issues. In the covenant, for example, there are some who are faithful followers of Jesus who believe that women shouldn't be pastors. That they read certain, certain scriptures and they think it just says that they shouldn't. And there are other parts, there are other faithful members of our church who believe that women are called and equally gifted for ministry. Um, both are welcome in this church. Another one is baptism. This is another place that's sort of rare in the covenant that there are some people in our church who are convinced that it's good to baptize children and should be done. There are others who believe that it's good to baptize only believers once they become adults and can make professions of faith. Both are welcome in the covenant. We make room for both. And so what I realize or what, when you have those sort of views, you realize that it's not so much that we don't care about those issues. Those are important things but rather that we hold unity, sticking together as a church, more important than those. And so for us, it's more important for us to stick together than it is to tear each other apart or to criticize each other, whether we wear masks, whether our views on baptism or women in ministry. We believe that it's more important to stick together. But more importantly, more important than kind of getting over our differences, we also believe or also are focused on the central point who is Jesus. Jesus is central to who we are, and Him we do agree on. We agree that we are gathered here, even this morning, to worship Him, to, to devote our lives to following Him. That is something that we can agree on, and that's more important than anything else. <clears throat> I was reading this week uh, a book called Reverse Thunder by Eugene Peterson. It's his devotion and reflection on the book of Revelation, uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And... He talked about it how he's making this point about, I'm reading the chapter about Jesus. He says, you know, Revelation is the last word on Jesus. He said, you know, there are some churches where Jesus is 
kind of a side thought where he's always part of Christianity, but some churches, they lose sight of Jesus. They, their church is all about miracles and healings. Some churches are all about social activism. Some churches um, are all about um, acting a certain way and looking good in, in um, public. But he said, if you read Revelation, you can't read it and miss the point that Jesus is central, that he is the Lord, he is our King, that he is the center of our faith. And so we as Christians, we as in this church especially, we gather around him. That is the center of our faith. And so maybe we have differing opinions about how to respond to the pandemic or about even some political, or sorry, even some theological issues, but we agree that Jesus is the center. We agree that we should worship him, and that is what we gathered around. Paul goes on to say this. He says, Because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, he's talking here about being a minister to the Gentiles. That This is Paul's special call. You see here that Paul felt called by God uh, to this specific ministry, to speaking to Gentiles. And uh, just by show of hands, anybody here um, Jewish before they became a Christian? No, like we're all Gentiles. We are all part of the Gentile church. Gentile just simply means not Jewish. Um, and so he felt called to specifically encourage people who weren't Jewish, who didn't know the Lord God, to realize that they had been reconciled to God through Jesus. And so he's saying that this was his priestly duty to proclaim this good news of God. That this is not just a preference for him, but this is, he felt like as a responsibility, like an obligation that God had given him. And the good news of God here is literally the good news, this amazing news that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah that the people, that the Jewish people had been waiting for for centuries, but not only that, that all people around the world had been waiting for, whether they realized it or not. That he, through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, his ascension, has given us a new life, a new way of living, a way that is faithful and good. And a life that doesn't just end, but goes on forever with him. That even though our, we might die in the body, we live forever with him and we will be resurrected. This is the amazing news. Not only that, but the sin, the things that we've done wrong, the things that we regret, the things that we are ashamed of, the things that have happened to us, none of those separate us from God anymore because of Jesus. Because of who He is and what He's done, He has reconciled us, made our relationship with God good again. This is the good news He came to speak to people, whether they had been following uh, well they, well, they had been following the Lord God all of their lives as Jewish people, or whether they were Gentiles and never even heard of the God, uh, or never even heard of Jesus. He'd come to share this good news with them. He said all of this so that the Gentiles would be acceptable and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, this is kind of subtle, and it's been a few weeks since we last talked about it, but this is again sacrifice language. He's talking about a sacrifice that is acceptable to God and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, this goes back to the first sermon that we preached in this series, which was a few weeks ago um, in September, when Paul said this in verse 12, sorry, chapter 12, verse 1, he says this, says this to the church. He says, after everything that he said, he says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, be present or to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. This is your spiritual service of worship. 
This image again of being a sacrifice, that our lives, because of who Jesus is and what he's done, we live our lives now as a sacrifice, fully alive, holy, and doing our best to please God. This is the message that he's come to proclaim to these Gentiles. And it's kind of, I think, why Paul actually wrote this letter to the church in Rome. Because it was largely a Gentile church. And him as the apostle to the Gentiles, as he says here, is his priestly duty, a minister of Christ Jesus, specifically to the Gentiles. That's why he's writing this letter, the Romans. And so, he does all of this to, to teach them. Because he's heard these stories about them having divisions in their church between Jewish believers and Gentile believers. And he's saying, because Jesus is central, accept one another, especially on disputable issues. He's like a coach. He's wanting to prepare the team. He wants them to be the best that they can be, to be as faithful as they can be, to be as close to Jesus as they can be. This is the desire of every pastor, to prepare uh, his or her people, his or her church, to be faithful to God. That's also my desire too is to see us grow in our faithfulness to Jesus. And so that's why like, we devote time to this, why we spend time, is that we would be more faithful to Jesus, but also, too, so we'd be more faithful in mission in our community around us, that we would be, but also, too, in these last few weeks, that we would be closer together as a church. And I was thinking about it this last week, about two images. One is the first is a downward spiral. For many people, well, actually for most of us, it is easier to stay connected to Jesus when we have a great uh, experience or when we have a healthy church family that we're a part of. Think about this. If you can come here on Sunday, you can praise God. You can sense God moving in your life. You can be encouraged by your brothers and sisters or have a chance to encourage them. All those things work together like a positive, like an like a upward spiral. The opposite is also true. When we come here and we feel angry or frustrated with each other, it doesn't take too long before you stop wanting to even come to praise God. And when you stop coming because you're frustrated with the church or people in the church or this group who keeps doing this one thing that you don't agree with, when you stop coming, it's hard to stay connected with Jesus. So many of our lives are so busy and filled with so many things that we can begin to go into a downward spiral where we stop coming on Sundays, we stop spending time with Jesus throughout the week, we get angry with Christians and anger, and it just goes down and down. What I think Paul is encouraging us, or encouraging the church in Rome, and because of them, indirectly encouraging us, is to stay connected to each other, to stay uh, gracious and accepting of one another, that we gather here, and this becomes a place where we not only praise God, but we are encouraging each other that you feel like you belong, even though we have differences. Because trust me, everybody in this room sees certain things differently. And that's okay, because Jesus is center. Jesus is the one we've come to worship. He's the one, despite all the, all the small differences we might have, that's the most important thing, is Jesus. And so the more that we gather, the, 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 the healthier, the more we are accepting of each other, the more gracious we are with each other, the more we want to come and to praise God. And the more we do that, the more we're going to want to spend time with him throughout the week. Our faith grows. Our church faith grows. And people in our community, this is the cool thing, people in our community will see the church. And they will see the way that we care for each other, even despite our differences. And they'll think, I want to be a part of that. I think in the next few months, maybe the next year or two, we're going to see more people saying, I am so sick 
of our culture and how much people are tearing each other apart on social media, how people are going after each other. I'm sick of it. And they're going to come here. They're going to see the way that we care for each other, even though we have differences, and they're going to want to be a part of this. They're going to want to begin learning more about Jesus because of that. Church family, this, this is what I hear Paul speaking to us over these last few weeks, is that we, in this time, when so much of the world, when there's so much pressure outside, that it wouldn't cause cracks inside. That the pressure out there wouldn't cause cracks in here, but rather the pressure out there would actually push us closer together as a church, caring for each other better, caring for each other more, accepting each other despite our differences, being more gracious with each other when we make mistakes, when we blow it, when we say something hurtful, when we say something inconsiderate, or when we walk up and try to hug somebody who's feeling uncomfortable about being hugged right now, that we are gracious with each other. This will help us grow in our faith with Jesus. This will strengthen us as a church. And the people in our community around, that, around, around us will see that sort of love and compassion in our church and it will be compelling for them. This is what I've heard Paul speaking over us these last few weeks and I thought how great it was that today this series ended on communion because um, communion has numerous facets to it as a meal. First of all, it is a remembrance of Jesus that we, in this meal, we remember the sacrifice that he made. And it's our sacred privilege to celebrate the Lord's Supper. The words that are spoken are familiar. They remind us of the rhythms of our faith. They remind us that we come from a deep tradition. But this meal has been shared for almost 2,000 years now with our brothers and sisters throughout time and around the world. But this meal is also a meal that not only do we come realizing Jesus' sacrifice, but I believe there's also mysteries that happen in this meal. That This meal actually does stuff in us as well. And one of the things that it does is holds us together as a church. In Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, which was a, another letter that Paul wrote, and we see it in the book, the First Corinthians, the letter, he talks to the church and he says, do not take the Lord's Supper in a manner that is unworthy, because anyone who eats in an unworthy way um, um, I can't remember the wording exactly, but like death is the result of it. Eats death into themselves. And what, he's, what was happening, oftentimes Christians have come to this meal. I remember actually the church I was in in Vancouver coming for communion. They only did it once a month. And they wanted to know the week before so they could spend the whole week before confessing to God, asking for God's forgiveness, preparing to eat or take communion in a worthy fashion. And I remember people that they would come like... The other three months, the other three weeks of the month, they would come dressed normally, but on communion they would come in a suit and tie, wanting to take this meal in a worthy way. Now there is that element here, and he says like to take it, receive it in a worthy way, that we are coming humbly before God to receive this meal, recognizing the sacrifice that Jesus made. But that wasn't actually the point Paul was making. You see, in the Corinthian church, you had some really wealthy Christians and some very poor Christians. And they would have, it was called the love feast, and so they would actually have a big meal. They had more than just a bite of bread and a sip of juice. They actually had a meal together. And you had the wealthiest Christians who would come with this huge banquet. Meanwhile, their poor brothers and sisters would have to just sit and watch, having nothing more than a bit of bread and a bit of wine at the end. And Paul was saying, you eat this in an unworthy way, holding your wealth and power over against your brothers and sisters without even sharing with them. And so he's saying that this meal... An unworthy way to eat it would be to eat it with divisions among us. 
And so this meal is meant to hold us together as well. That's another facet that happens here. So this meal this morning, I think, is fitting uh, conclusion to our series on Romans that we are to be compassionate and gracious and caring with each other. If you would, please stand as we profess what we believe, not only with the historic church, the church of 2,000 years, but also with the global church, our brothers and sisters who share this meal around the world. We believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sin, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, and after he had given thanks, he poured it out, and he said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, remembering me. Church family, for as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. They remind us of the sacrifice that Jesus has made, and they remind us that we are held together by sharing in this meal.